Um, we're going to talk about the beauty of Easter today and how, how beautiful uh, a holiday it is and, and just some things I was reflecting on when I was thinking about uh, what the Lord wanted me to share uh, with you today. And um, it's just this Easter is filled with tradition. You know, there are uh, many, many things that we consider traditional as far as Easter is concerned. We have to acknowledge a lot of the traditions that are connected with Easter because (coughs) traditions don't come out of nowhere. They are established by people, people who are our brothers and sisters in the Lord, many of them. Now, I know a lot of times traditions get perverted and they get mixed in and Sometimes there's pagan uh, ideas mixed in with Easter. We all understand that. We know that uh, some of the holidays, the established dates for holidays, really came from the established world religions at that time. For instance, Christmas is when we celebrate the birth of Christ, but it does happen to coincide with one of the Roman pagan holidays. That date does. It's just a matter of those people conveniently imposing Christianity on top of their world religion, but I don't think people had any evil intent when they did it. But when you know the truth, you have to establish truth as a priority, and then the the mixed-in pagan tradition is kind of secondary. For instance, a lot of the Easter tradition that has to do with eggs and, and the Easter bunny and those kinds of things were a lot of myth mixed in with the resurrection or the idea of life that comes forth, new life that comes forth with Easter. So there's a lot of beauty to it. Of course, we don't celebrate the Easter bunny because that was pagan enough that that was a, a fertility god that they were, were uh, worshiping and offering up uh, sacrifices. Actually, the Easter egg hunt had to do with the uh, desire to be blessed of that God as far as fruitfulness and fertility is concerned. And so a lot of these things that are traditions that people grab onto very easily because tradition is easier to get than God. And so <clears throat> God rewards those who seek him. So it is seekers who wind up finding God. But the traditions come because people have adopted a way to celebrate this very, very important holiday. And I think as long as there's a tradition of celebration, there's a good chance that God will get involved somewhere. If there's no tradition of celebration, the chances of God getting involved are going to be a little bit harder. Now, (coughs) we don't ascribe to the Easter egg hunt and the bunny thing and all that kind of stuff because we know the true meaning of things. Just like at Christmas time, people talk about Christmas being too commercial, but y'all better not rush up in my house, don't bring me no yeah on Christmas. <laughs> now we gonna make it a little bit commercial and a lot spiritual, but bring my gift. <laughs> so there is a balance that Christians have to strike. And I don't believe any Christian who really loves God just celebrates Christmas for the commercial reasons. You know, you can get caught up in that, but at the end of it, there's still a revelation, a knowledge, and an understanding of what what Jesus really did for us. What his birth meant to this earth and, and the things surrounding his birth. So we celebrate the real things, even though there's a certain mixture there. But I think there's a beauty about Easter that cannot be ascribed to any other holiday. And I think it really does relate to what actually happened during that time at Easter. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to read you some scripture having to do with the events surrounding the death of Jesus. We all know the story of his crucifixion. We know that he was unjustly accused by the world and the church. This was necessary so that he would die for all sin. So the world had to condemn him and the religious powers that be had to condemn him. So that he was without question the savior of the world. He saved you from your religious sins and he saves you from your worldly sins. It's all sin and it stinks as far as God's concerned. And so the religious leaders were instrumental in the accusations that came against Jesus 
But at that time, the Jews were under the authority of the Roman government. They couldn't carry out their own laws without the approval of the Roman government. And that's how Pilate got involved in this. But Pilate came to the place where he said, I find no fault in this man. And he actually washed his hands of it. But still, because they were under his authority, the world has to take responsibility, just like the church does for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. People always point to the Jews as being responsible uh, for killing the Lord, but we all killed him. Our sin killed him. If if the Jews hadn't said anything, well, he still would have had to die on that cross so that people could be raised up. And so this scene, though, allows us to know that in our sinful condition, we hate goodness. We hate what Jesus stood for. And that's the object of, of his crucifixion is that his mercy, his love, and his goodness were really on trial. He said, "What you were daily with me in the temple, for what, what uh, thing do you accuse me? And so he was actually sinless in everything that he did, but that the world still hates the sinless. And so the world will persecute you. If you if you live for God, it's just going to happen like that. And so one of the things that we celebrate on Easter is the victory of goodness over evil. We see a great trial and that's part of the beauty of it. There's a a thing, something that that is fresh and, and new about Easter that is like no other holiday. You know, there's there's a a, there's always this this reflection of life, new life, goodness, of purity that comes forth. You know, you come out of the deadness of winter and you come into the life of spring and the flowers bloom and all that kind of thing. And there's a celebration of life during that time of the year. I'm glad Easter came during the spring. And maybe not the summer, you know, right between barbecue on the 4th of July and the, you know, Labor Day or whatever comes in September. And so it it just is, is there because I think God wants us to look at it in its proper light. And so in Matthew chapter uh, 27, we're going to start in verse 45. And we talked already about the death of Jesus. He was put to death because of our sin. The world condemned him. The world will always condemn righteousness. Uh, There is something about the sinless goodness of God that's hated in the world by the world system. And so whenever you, you do things, righteous acts, righteous deeds, you will be persecuted. You will, you will be disliked. Uh, you will be, want to be put to death. I always <clears throat> talk about the fact that our president boldly states that uh, Jesus is his savior. And, and he serves the Lord and he goes to God for all of his answers. Well, no wonder people hate him. You see what I'm saying? You can't just stand up publicly and say that as the president without somebody disliking you on, on all three levers, levels in, in, in the earth and under the earth. And so, but he's uh, on two levels in the earth and under the earth. But heaven rejoices when we stand for what God stands for. And that's what Jesus did. Every day of his life was a life of purity, holiness, love, forgiveness, um, uh, hatred of evil, stopping oppression, uh, relieving people of illness and poverty and all of those things, giving them hope. That's the pure life that, that makes Easter, you know, that's what we commemorate during this time, is that type of a life, that purity of life and that holiness that Jesus represented. So in Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. And I don't speak Aramaic, so I'll cross over that. (laughs) says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, to forsake someone means to stand against them. When you have an agreement with somebody, they will they will stand with you in agreement for agreement's sake. For instance, if you're prayer partners with someone, anything that God puts on your heart to pray for, they must stand with you in the things that God wants to bring to pass in your life simply because you have an agreement to do that. To not do it would mean to forsake you. 
they drop their end of the ball and they drop their their commitment. See, forsaking means to to have a commitment to do something and not do it. See, when a spouse cheats on you, they have forsaken you in the commitment that they've made to the wedding vow. So this word forsake really has has more to do with uh it has to do with you keeping your word more than whether or not you did somebody a favor. See if Ron and I have no commitment to do anything for each other, I can ask him to do something and he can say he's going to do it or not do it. He hasn't forsaken me because he hasn't committed to do anything. There's no there's no obligation on his part. So for to forsake someone means that there is an obligation on your part to stand with someone and you have forsaken your obligation. You have turned your back on your obligation. That's why Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm in this with you to the end. I don't care how much you mess up. I don't care how many teeny potatoes you buy. And murder everybody peeling those teeny potatoes. Marsha. (laughs) He will never forsake us. (laughs) This is just true. And so what Jesus is saying, there's nothing you can do that's so bad that's going to make me drop you. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful covenant. <laughs> Torturing people, peeling those 100 teeny potatoes. But anyhow. <laughs> so Jesus wants to know why the Father has forsaken him. In his dying hours, he is crying out in his humanity because he is experiencing separation from the Father. Because he is, a, this is the first time he has experienced sin on his mortal body and in his soul. So the Lord says that he turns away from sin. And so at that hour, the Lord had to, the Father had to turn his back on his son because the iniquity of the world was laid on him. See what I'm saying? But the Bible says, with loving kindness. And tender mercy. His mercies endure forever. And so right after that, Jesus also said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So the connection was remade. You got me? Showing us that even if we've murdered everybody in the world, we've raped everybody, fornicated with everybody, done all the coke in the world, he still will forgive us. If he forgave his son, in one breath, Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the next breath, he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The relationship was reconnected again. Mm -hmm. That shows you that God is so willing to forgive us and so eager to set us free from sin when the sin of everybody in the whole world, past, present, and future up until that time was laid on his son, he only turned his back on him for a short while. That ought to make somebody in here feel happy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your sin is not so bad that God can't redeem you again and again and again. Some kids just like playing in mud. You understand what I'm saying? They just like coming there. My, I got my dress dirty again. Huh? Well, take it off. We're going to wash it. Of course, you spank their you-know-whats. And, you know, they know better. <laughs> you want them to learn to stay out of the mud. But if they got no better sense than to keep going, getting tempted, playing in that mud, you're going to have to keep cleaning them up until they learn. And this is the, the, the relationship that we have with the Father God. So he says, verse 47, some of them that stood there, when they heard that, that said, this man calls for Elijah. And straight away, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, put it on a reed and gave him a drink. The rest said, let it be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent into from the top to the bottom 
and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, went to the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women that were beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministered unto him among them, which was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. So many people witnessed this event when the Lord gave up the ghost or gave up his life. Now, what happened on Good Friday? What, what actually happened there? Good Friday symbolizes the confrontation between the creature and the creator. It symbolizes the confrontation between the created being and the creator. We, we talked about this some when we were talking in the empowerment meetings about the, um, the battle of the ages. And we talked about <clears throat> Satan and how he began to lift himself up above where he was. Uh, from the description of the different archangels, we know that he was Lucifer. He was first called Lucifer, the son of the morning. He was an archangel. Archangels appear to be assigned, each one of them individually, to each member of the Godhead. We say that uh, Lucifer was more than likely assigned to Jesus. So really, he's like the, you know, the uh, Donald Trump, you're fired. (laughs) You know, that kind of employee. Satan is the rebellious employee always undermining the boss, going behind the boss, trying on his robes of righteousness. You know what I'm saying? Always, you know, sitting in a limo, trying to tell the you know, limo driver, just like the boss does, that kind of thing. That's what he's doing. And he decides he's going to exalt his throne above God's throne. And pretty soon we see Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so he was expelled from his first estate because it was judged that iniquity was in him. And iniquity always lowers a person. So he automatically fell because of his iniquity. God didn't have to judge him. This is the interesting thing that you got to know about judge, about God. When the Bible says it is written, when Jesus talked to Satan and he confronted him by saying it is written, that means that this law has been established forever. We ain't making this up as we go along. So the things that happen to us on earth as a consequence of sin is not a reaction. God is not sitting up there reacting to us what we do now and just decide, I'm getting them today. You don't tell me why I slap you, you know, with some disease or he's not doing that. What God does minute by minute is he hearkens to the voice of the prayers of the saints so that he can show mercy in some of these situations where judgment would fall immediately. You see what I'm saying? This is what the decision that he's making from minute to minute is a decision to show mercy where there is judgment already coming at those people because it is written. It's already written. Listen, it's already written. Sin will kill you. God doesn't tell us not to sin because he don't want us to have no fun. That's the biggest lie the devil's ever perpetrated on people. Because God tells us sin will kill you because it's already written it's going to kill you. And he pulls us out of sin so that we can live. He said, choose life this day. Choose life. See, Easter was a day when life was chosen. But see, when Satan fell from heaven, he came down to earth and messed up the man and the woman. Because they were made in the image of God, and that's what he wanted. He wanted a higher place. He wanted to be above where God is. And so he hates anything that is like God. Huh? He does. You'll find you find this with, with families. Sometimes you'll have families that live close to your neighbors. You try to be friends with them. You know, say the parents have a falling out. Well, the kids don't get along either. You understand what I'm saying? It just kind of goes like that. So anybody that's an enemy of God's will be an enemy of humanity. Hello. People who hate God really hate themselves. Huh? 
they're not kind to themselves when you think about it. Because if you hate God and you get in sin, you you sin against your own body and your own life. And so when (coughs) Jesus, though, in having to make things right where Satan was concerned, Jesus here has an employee that's trying to take his place. So he has a challenge against him. So any time the creator is challenged by the creature, what do you think is going to happen? The creator is going to have to prove himself to this creature that he's not as smart as he thinks he is. So when Satan fell like lightning from heaven, that was just round one. Huh? Because round two started down here on earth. When he tempted God's creation further. And said, I'm going to corrupt the man and the woman so that they will obey me instead of God. And that's our biggest problem is who do we love and who are we going to obey? See? And so when the enemy was able to get the man and the woman to disobey God, that developed a desire to sin in man. We have a desire to sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? Most of your Christian life will be getting yourself developed enough in Christ likeness so that you don't respond to the desire to sin. And every time that the enemy can touch somebody with sickness, somebody with with uncleanness, somebody with unclean desire, somebody with drug addiction or something, he scores a point for himself and he feels like he's getting back at God. So Jesus had to do something to show the devil that he had not won. And he devised a plan in his wisdom, to show the devil that he was all-wise. He was all-powerful. See, when challenges are made, they have to be answered, folks. They can't be just left out there. Because as long as this challenge was went unanswered, there was no redeemer for the people. There was no access for man back to to the throne of God. So the challenge had to be answered. You know, it's not good to ignore everything that's wrong in our lives. Some things have to be confronted and dealt with. You see what I'm saying? Ignoring it would have meant that God was scared of the devil. Huh? So Jesus said, well, I see where he's at now. We kicked him out of heaven. Now he's down on earth trying to mess things up. I think I'll go down there and check on my boy, my runaway employee, and see what he's up to these days. So Jesus decides to make a little visit down to earth and check out what the enemy's doing. And he finds him wreaking havoc on humanity. So when the creature decides that he will challenge the creator, the creator has to set up a situation where the creature is able to shoot his best shot at him. This is why Jesus took all of the sin for all of humanity for all time. So there's no sin left that he can't forgive. When we first get saved, what are we, what are we, what are you scared of? (gasps) Unpardonable sin. Did I commit it? Huh? Remember them days? Uh, Somebody might still be there, but you know, praise God, we all, we working on it. Everybody working on it. And you think to yourself, (gasps) and I still say, did I create it again? And little by little bit, you get reassured that the unpardonable sin really is rejecting Christ as your Savior. You know, and you understand everything else is under the blood. It's totally forgivable. And so when we when we get ourselves understood and we get this confidence that God loves us and that we are saved, we can go on in victory. And so, but this is the first thing the enemy will tell you is that there's something that you can do that didn't get paid for by the blood of Jesus. In fact, many of us live our lives cautiously, feeling that, see, I'd rather err on the side of of advancing the kingdom and make some mistakes than to sit in a corner and do nothing because I'm afraid that I'm going to do something God can't forgive. You understand what I'm saying? Or afraid of people's reaction to you if you make a mistake. Or afraid of, you know what I'm saying. Once you get into the life of Christ, there is a boldness there that causes you more want to come forth and some do something for God. You understand what I'm saying? Even if you just do it halfway, let's get out here and see you got something. Okay? And so it's this kind of fear 
that the enemy tries to keep us bound in, that Jesus had to go to the cross to take care of that stuff. He had to take care of your negative thought life, your your fears, your reluctance, your insecurities, all that stuff. He took care of everything. And so every trace of iniquity had to be dealt with there. But when the creature challenged the creator, the 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 <laughs> the thriller in Galilee. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Huh? That's where it took place. Huh? In the land of the Jews where Jesus was promised to come back. And this is where, and it culminated on, on a hill of, called Calvary. And this is where the final round was, was, uh, fought between Christ and Satan. And Satan thought he had an advantage when he thought the Father forsook him. And so he, Satan, the last enemy that Jesus took on himself was death. He took all those wounds. The Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was slapped around for our iniquities. Well, he was bruised and beaten for everything to pay for everything but the biggie. Huh? And then the last, he took death upon himself. And the enemy thought he had him. And so as the Savior is on the cross dying, he begins to cry out to the Father and commends his spirit into the Father's hands. It's not in this gospel account, but you will find it in one of the other ones. Not sure which one it is, but you'll find if you read through all four gospel accounts of Jesus' <coughs> crucifixion, you'll find that he commends his spirit into the Father's hands. He does that because... He is, he knows that he is empowered, he's under the, the authority of death, but that the Father has a final word. Amen. Just like you and me. Amen. For a while in our lives, we're under the authority of death, but God still has a final word. And all we have to do is yield to his authority. See, if Jesus had, had allowed death to take him without him, putting his hands in the Father's authority, he would have died like anybody else in sin. He never would have come out of hell because the devil would have had authority to keep him there. See, this is what keeps us out of hell forever is because our spirits are in the hands of the Father. When you're born again and God prepares you for death, this is why I don't like people playing around with people's last minutes and last hours. Because God has a purpose in what he's doing in a human soul to prepare them for death and for meeting him. There are some people who get saved and live rebellious all of their lives. If we were to pull the plug on them or whatever, pull a, just quit feeding them or whatever, we begin to interrupt. See what I'm saying? These, these, there are some crucial times in the life of a soul, a human soul, that have to be respected. And that's the first half hour and the last half hour. First half hour, if they don't do stuff right, you ain't going to get here. See what I'm saying? And last half hour, if anybody interferes, you may not get out the right way. And so had Jesus not commended his spirit into the hands of the Father, he would have gone to hell and stayed there. But he put himself in the Father's hands. He didn't try to fight his way out of the devil's kingdom. But he renewed his, his, his soul in a new covenant with the Father. If he died, that old covenant died with him. When he was raised up, he was raised up in a new covenant. Once you're, the Bible says that if, if a will is in force, it's in force only after the death of the testator, the one making the will. We all know that. People sitting around waiting for folks to die now so they can see what they can get. See what I'm saying? And so after he dies, that Old Testament is not valid anymore. Hello? Yes? That's the one they were living under at that time. And when Jesus died, he took the law, the ordinances, all of that stuff with him to the cross, all that stuff. That's why when we find out somebody been cheating, we don't take them to court and stone them to death. Huh? Wouldn't even occur to us to do that now. Well, that's what they did back there, and it was just quite quite natural. So that that old covenant must not be enforced because we don't do that stuff anymore. Nobody comes to church and brings a lamb to be killed. <laughs> we might bring a ham. 
It's a joke. I'm still mad at Mike Murdoch about my cake. But you don't bring your pets in here and have them slaughtered for your sins. wouldn't even occur to us to do that. So that old covenant is not in force anymore. Because he died under that law, that law has been abolished. But that don't mean that you sin and have fun as a Christian. I hope you feel mighty bad when you do something wrong, just like I do. And that will teach us to do the things that God wants us to do. So when Jesus died on the cross, <coughs> his, his, the fact that he took sin with him to the cross and death with him to the cross meant that, the, that these things had no more power on humanity, not like they had before. People who say they can't quit doing stuff, just don't read their Bibles. Hey, you can quit anytime you want to. huh? And if the devil gives you a hard time, you keep reminding him of what Jesus did to him at Calvary. He'll leave you alone. So Easter also symbolizes the triumph of the supreme God over the forces of evil. When the creature challenges the creator, the creator must emerge victorious. Why? God will never lose this earth to a loser. You want to see real chaos, you, you let God die and leave this thing totally to the devil. Huh? The police would come and shoot you and take your stuff. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> wholesale. Not that they won't try and do it now, but they'll do it wholesale. Hmm? So when Jesus went to the cross, there was an earthquake, and it seemed like everything was in disorder and chaos. This earthquake symbolized that the earth, the created thing, was opening herself to receive the life of the creator. And that's why everything shook. That's why it got dark from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the desert where they have more sunlight than they have almost anything else. But everything turned dark because the created thing was trying to absorb the life of its creator. And that can never happen. It can never happen. It causes great chaos just for that time. The graves of the people who died in Christ were opened on Friday, but they didn't come out. Did you read it? You got that? The graves came open, but nobody came out of them till after Jesus got up. Till got, could you imagine seeing all these, these <laughs> you know, going by whatever? <laughs> What's in the one in Detroit, a big graveyard here? Yeah, resurrection, whatever. And seeing all the headstones moving and just see all these big holes in the ground and everything opened up. Can you imagine just walking by that day after day and wondering what's going on? Who opened that tomb? All the big rocks sitting in front of the, the sepulchers that they had then. They were like big rocks and people were put inside. And there was a huge stone that people, one person could not move that thing. You had to take several people and pry it off of there. Well, all these things opened up on Friday. Well, Jesus just taking his time. He said, hmm. I had a little ransom to pay. You ever, y'all watch these kidnap movies? I watch them. <sighs> Mr. Tommy Lee Jones is one of my. <laughs> and Mr. Wesley Snipes. Oh my goodness. Ah, Mr. Tommy Lee Jones, Mr. Wesley Snipes. But, you know, when they, <clears throat> if someone is kidnapped and they require a ransom, you never know if you're going to get the kidnapped victim back or not. So what they try to do is to make a deal with the with the kidnappers, and you're at their mercy because they call you when they feel like it. And they wait until you're good and nervous and you're willing to do anything because the kidnappers would like to be able to get away with murder scot-free. But the best scenario is when they tell you where to make the money drop, if they bring the victim there, and you can have somebody take the victim while you're dropping the money and you snatch them into your possession. They snatch the money and run. Then it's a clean. See where everybody wins. Well, that's what happened when Jesus gave up his life. He made the drop in the graves open. His life dropped into the earth and that 
power shot the graves open. That ransom drop was made, and immediately those people were set free out of the power of death. You see what I'm saying? So there is no delay in our being able to receive the things that we need from God. And so they popped open on Friday, and he said, I'll wait till Sunday to walk the earth. I got some work to do down in hell. And from Friday to Sunday, he walked the corridors of hell, demonstrating to all principalities and powers that the creator, the creator was greater than the creature. So those one third of the angels that went with Satan had to be convinced that Satan was not in power because they're lied to also. They get lied to by the devil just like we do. And so after Jesus did a good job, the Bible says he spoiled principalities and powers and made an open show of them. Which in, in, in Rome, when a person was, when a king was defeated, say Caesar, they managed to capture a king or uh, some of his big generals and they were, they were captured. They paraded them through the streets of Rome. In the old days, when in the Jewish tradition, they would have the younger generals, the younger Jewish boys, if they captured a king, they would have the younger boys come and put their foot on their necks in public to take the fear of that person out of those young children. So that would make good soldiers out of them. And so there was always an open show made of the defeat of an important person so that everybody would know that that person was defeated. And so what Jesus did was he made an open show. And in Rome, what they would do, they would parade them through the streets and they would, would <coughs> have perfume, have the, the, uh, a, a perfume put upon the chariot that they were riding in. And that, you know, when the scripture says a savor of life unto life and death unto death, they would have a laurel wreath, a laurel perfume, which was a sign of peace, and mix in with it with some frankincense, which was a funeral. So it was life and death hitting this person at the same time, so that mixed fragrance would keep them in confusion and doubt as until their final fate. Well, you know, Caesar always killed everybody. You know what I'm saying? And then, <laughs> man, that's mean, ain't it? But that's what Jesus did to Satan. He spoiled principalities and powers and made an open show of them to show everybody that they had no more authority over us, no more authority over humanity, no more authority in your life, no more authority. He's already been beaten, dragged through the streets, everything stripped from him. His teeth is gone. The Bible says, as a roaring lion, huh? You all know how lions, how lions attack. They put the old guys up there to roar. Did you know that? When they lose their teeth, they make them make noise. And what they will do is they, they live in groups called a pride. And the younger lions will wait off in the distance and they'll send the old guy up there, you know, with no teeth, no claws. And all he does is roar, and he roars and frightens the prey over to where the young ones are. So the Bible says the devil is as a roaring lion. When they make noise, they ain't got much power. You understand what I'm saying? And so this is why we understand that he all the power and authority was stripped from him. But this is why Friday, Good Friday is so good. It was good to Jesus, too. It says, for the joy that was set before him. We always think the joy was seeing us born again. But it might, joy might have been going there and taking the devil's teeth out of his mouth. Huh? Uh, Satan, your dental appointment is now. <laughs> oh, no anesthesia for you, buddy. <laughs> your coverage doesn't cover that. Huh? Got no coverage. And so Jesus, he says, stripped principalities and powers, made an open show. When the drop was made, the captives were set free. you got to understand that. The minute Jesus' life was given up, those grave doors popped open. They came open. And the Bible says, in verse 53, says, for 51, behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. It was done supernaturally. That tent 
that that curtain was about 30 feet high because it covered a big tent. Just imagine Barnum and Bailey Circus tent. You know, if you can't imagine, hey, those things are big. They have to hold that many people. There was a tabernacle inside of there. And it says, the earth did quake and the rock shook and the graves were opened. And many of the bodies which the saints slept arose and came out after his resurrection. You see, they didn't come out then. They came out after he was raised up and walked around. That is the true body of Christ. Huh? You don't move unless the head says move. See what I'm saying? <laughs> when I move, you move. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 Joke. 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 So touchy. So touchy. Okay. <laughs> you know I couldn't resist that. But anyway, they they move at the command of the head. And once your freedom comes, Jesus knows that whenever the the power of God strikes you to move, you will move. So they weren't due to come out until after he had finished everything that he wanted to do. I think it's interesting. It took him, <clears throat> I think, probably altogether about six to nine hours of suffering to take on the sin of the world. And in a moment, he died and paid the ransom for people. But it took him a good two and a half, three days to get done with the devil, showing everybody that he's nothing and nobody. You see what I'm saying? So this is the vengeance that God gets on our enemies. What he said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So he took his good old time showing the devil that the created thing was not bigger than the creator. And that's what he had to prove. So a lot of these things that go on in the realm of the spirit and with God have more to do with God's word and him proving his word to all of creation and all of humanity than it has to do directly with us. So we have to get out of that mindset of only thinking about what Jesus' life means for us believers or for humanity. But there's a, the Bible says that all creation groans waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So actually, your, your plants that you love are, <clears throat> man, when is she going to get with it and start living supernatural so I can have some? You understand what I'm saying? They're groaning. <laughs> it's the truth. My plants talk to me different than yours do. <laughs> but anyway. You know, I mean, when you forget to give them water for a little bit, you know, if your mind was totally on God, you wouldn't do that stuff. You see what I'm saying? And so you can take it from there and take it to the fact that there are tsunamis, creation groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. If sin were out of the world, those things wouldn't happen and take all of those lives. And so we have to understand that there is a creation here that God has made that is waiting for the full manifestation of us as believers. So on Friday, there was disorder and chaos. You <laughs> can just imagine some curious person going by somebody's grave. <laughs> Could you imagine Uncle John? <laughs> Everybody thought wasn't saved. And on Friday, his grave pops open. And they just watching it to see when Uncle John is going to come out of there. Or the people that died and, and somebody did something wrong to them on the earth. It's still waiting to see what they're going to say when they come out of their grave. I mean, you know, it's just interesting. Think about it. But God has his reasons. He makes, he does signs and wonders so that he can get the attention of onlookers so that he can demonstrate himself and who he is. This is, this was a sign to the believers who were still on the earth that a price had been paid for these people and they knew who was righteous and who wasn't. There was no more guessing anymore. And they knew that there were some people who had died in Christ. And I think that can make believers out of people when they look and see what kind of life that person lived and so forth. So on Sunday, though, <coughs> you see a different situation. <coughs> so in um, starting in Matthew 27 and verse 57, it says, When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate, begged for the body of Jesus. Pilate gave it to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth. He wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Now this, is, again, is part of the beauty of Easter. Everything on Sunday comes up differently. On, on Friday, 
Here we have a Savior dying a bloody death through accusation, false accusation, through uh, thieves looking down on him as they suffered with him on the cross as well. One of them finally gets a clue and decides that he is the Son of God. He had done nothing wrong. And so there's all this disorder and chaos, and his disciples leave him. People in the city are upset because they have thought that he was the Messiah and the Savior, and now it looks like the powers that be actually have power over him too. And they don't understand anything about how this is all going to turn out. And so on on Friday, we see a scene of utter chaos, and these on top it off, all these graves open up. People don't know what's going to happen in the city next. So there's a lot of fear on every side. And then on Sunday, you see a different scenario because the preparation for Sunday begins on Friday where they decide to put him in a brand new tomb, symbolizing a new covenant. He is wrapped in clean linen, symbolizing that there will be a new life to come forth out of this tomb. And he says in verse 60, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of a rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and Mary and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came to say, and they decided that they would pay somebody to, to watch that tomb. So there was a guard at the tomb, which means that nobody could enter in. And nobody could go out. Now, if you think about this scene has been replayed many times with God. Remember the woman uh, that took care of the prophet as he walked by? She bought him a little house. I mean, she built him a little place to live in, a little room on the, the thing. And that, that room that he went in, when she put her dead son in there, he went in and he shut the door. And the workings of God the, the miracle workings of God that he doesn't want revealed are always done that way in the word. You see the woman that's pouring out uh, the oil that never ceases. When she goes behind the shut door, then the miracle resurrection power of God comes forth out of those times with him. Many times people who get a miracle healing have to have a time of seclusion. They shut everything out. You'll hear them say, I did nothing but read my Bible all day long. I didn't let anybody in except people who were going to pray for me. This shutting in with God is the, the major makings of the working of a miracle in his, in, his, in his language and in his world. And so he says, <clears throat> they, they shut that thing and roll that stone in front of there. Verse 65, Pilate says, you have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. They went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. In 28 verse 1, it says, at the end of the Sabbath, it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now here we have another earthquake. These earthquakes are the voice of God. These are signs from heaven that God is up to something. So the first earthquake tore things up. This earthquake is going to mend things, saying that the new covenant will be a covenant of peace. It'll be a covenant of purity and righteousness. It'll be a covenant that cannot be broken because it's sealed in the blood of Jesus. When that ransom was paid, that paid for all of this newness to come forth. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. They're not even a part of your life anymore. And everything becomes new. As there was a great earthquake in verse 2, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning. In fact, his face was so bright, it looked like a flash of lightning. And his clothing was white as snow. So this is part of the beauty of Easter. Everything that's pure, fresh, and clean is symbolic of Easter. The lilies, white flowers, are symbolic of the new life that comes out, the purity that comes Because you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. Everything about the resurrection is totally different. It's it's early in the day 
when Jesus is raised up. When he gave up the ghost, it turned dark for three hours. And so darkness from Friday gives way to light on Sunday. Everything, you know, the traditions that we have. You want to buy new clothes on Easter. Even though preachers tell you don't spend that money on them clothes, y'all don't need no. You know, they've been preaching that forever. People still do it. You see what I'm saying? You've got to have something new. Why? Because it symbolizes tradition. It symbolizes a new covenant. That new life is coming forth. That you are a new creature. Whether you act like it or not, whether you believe it totally or not, or whether you can get rid of all your no-nos or not. You are a new creature when Jesus Christ comes into your life. This is part of his resurrection power. And it says, and for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not. (coughs) Y'all don't be scared. That's what that said. King James, fear ye not. Y'all don't be scared. It says, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. So the minute he raised up, he left the tomb. The minute he was raised up, he left the tomb, folks. Symbolizing the minute you get born again, you leave that life of death. And you step over into life. You don't see him hanging around. (laughs) In fact, one angel said, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Huh? This is a place for dead people. He's alive. Living people do not hang around graveyards. Well, not much. You know, some people, they, you know, they kind of like to go visit and stuff, but that's different. Graveyards are always secluded because the living do not stay there. <coughs> and he says, he is not here for his risen. He said, come and see where he was, he, where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid, but go and tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. And so Jesus brought the new new Sunday brings peace to people. It just brings a great understanding. That's why so many people will flock to church on Easter. You know, I mean, when they may not go any other time, they go in respect because there's peace during that time. They feel welcome there. They feel that this is a place to be. This is a place to, and, and many people, that is why many people will get saved on an Easter when they come into a church. Because that message of, of newness, and God wants them there. You understand what I'm saying? God wants people in church whenever they come. And so he, he welcomes them there so they can hear the message and the good news that he has made all things new. Everything that he touches is new. So on Friday we said the death was laid upon the creator. And death and, and, and life was swallowed. Death was swallowed up by his life. So there was a victory there. Death was swallowed up in victory. The dead, the graves of the dead saints were opened as victory overcame death. The earth shook because she was unable to hold the power of her creator. The challenge that Satan made in heaven before he left was answered on the earth. So Jesus always answers every challenge that's ever made to him. When you hear people questioning things about God and the Bible, listen, don't get upset with them. You know, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. But God will answer all of their questions. He doesn't mind people questioning him. He really doesn't. We may not have the answers, but we can certainly pray and ask God to reveal himself to people and show them, you know, and and show them what he, he wants them to know. Some of the traditions associated with Easter, we talked about, you know, buying clothes. Springtime always symbolizes new life after the death of winter. <clears throat> the resurrection is a type of spring and a coming forth of the promise of new life. Even the colors of spring speak toward life. You see a lot of grass, green, you know, 
flowers and, and trees start to bud again, you know, almost like overnight. Is look out one day, you're shoveling snow, and the next time you look around, there's green buds popping out everywhere. The pain that the Lord experienced on Friday opened the door to Sunday's triumph. When pain is taken to the grave, it dies. So that's how he was wounded for your transgression. That's how you can rebuke pain and it will leave in the authority of the name of Jesus. Everything that was laid on Jesus that he took to the grave with him. See, there was never a person <clears throat> that ever lived that had sin laid on them that it didn't do them in. He's the only one. So until that time, I mean, now they could get healing under the old covenant. Don't get me wrong. But it was never put into the hands of ordinary believers like it is now. See, anybody with the faith of God and the anointing of God can walk up to any disease, illness, pain, whatever, and, and get rid of it. Why? Because it was taken to the grave. And it was annihilated in the grave. And victory came up in its place. It was undone at the grave. And Jesus is the only person who was able to take it on himself and take it under the earth and lead it there. So your sickness was left there. Your pain was left there. Your hurts were left there. Your whatever who abused you and didn't talk bad, all of that was left there in the grave. So it has no power anymore. Once it's taken to the grave, finally it has no power. And see, this is why we can say Jesus died as a substitute for us. He did that in his in our place. So we can speak to pain and make it leave in the name of Jesus. We can speak to illness and make it leave in Jesus' name. All you got to do is continue to stand until it's gone. You see what I'm saying? Where Christians make their mistakes, they talk to it and they, Mr. Payne, uh, if you so please kindly say, well, it's the wrong attitude to take with it. Because it's dead already. Why are you talking to something dead as though it's alive and can make a decision about whether it's going to move or not? See, these things have been annihilated, their power gone. When Jesus made a show of Satan openly, he took sickness and dragged it through the streets and stepped on his face and said, you can't hurt them no more. He took everything that would hurt us and, and killed it and put it in the grave and it's still there. What we deal with here on earth are more <clears throat> things that are belonging to sinners but they can take it to the grave, too, when they get, get in Christ. So all of these things are annihilated in the life of Christ. That's why when he rose up and walked around, walked around, all those people, can you imagine every step Jesus made on earth, somebody got out of a tomb and made one, too? That's the body of Christ. He takes his body with him. Whatever he does, the body does. See what I'm saying? And so as he began to walk <coughs> and walk around, all these Old dead saints, the people got laughed at because they fasted and prayed all the time. Huh? Walking around, looking at all the people that treated them bad. Could you imagine such a thing? I'm telling you. It was wild back then. <laughs> but it was a good wild. If you were on the right side, it was a good thing. So Friday's pain opens the door for Sunday's triumph. When pain is taken to the grave, it dies. All of our sorrows were buried with Christ. And we came out victorious with him. We talked about the newness that comes and the joy of Easter. Easter is a time of joy because the hope of the future of righteousness brings joy. If you know that you don't have to mess your life up anymore, you've got reason to dance around. You've got reason to <laughs> run up and down the aisles. <laughs> you know, you see people that the... Uh, Older Pentecostal people had a thing when they went, oh, the spirit hit me. And they get up and take up, run around the church and <laughs> right back again. Huh? Because they that quickening and that life, they appreciate it because they know what that means. When we feast at Easter, Mary told, Jesus told Mary to go tell the good news to his disciples. The way God celebrates good news is with a feast. Every single holiday God calls. What do they tell him in Nehemiah's day? He said, you know, this day is holy to the Lord. He said, go take portions to those who have nothing prepared for them. Eat the fat. Huh? 
In those days, well, you know, fat was forbidden mostly for Jews. Why? Because it was offered up to the Lord. It was part of the Lord's sacrifice. So when the priest would take the meat in, they took the meat and the fat. That's some good meat. Because, you know, the priest got the... (laughs) The part that wasn't burnt for God was the priest's food. See what I'm saying? So they had to eat well because they had to be there to, you know, reach God for everybody. Hey, y'all bring me that big steak up in the air and bring this. But that's, that's really the priest got the first off of that because they were closest to the Lord. That was part of the honor that was given to the priesthood. But this was a, this day was holy to the Lord. So God sacrificed the portion that was usually reserved for himself. So God wants us to have a good time. God wants us to enjoy these times. He wants us to rejoice because of what the Lord has done for us. There is a time for fasting, but this ain't one of them. Y'all understand me? This was a time for joy and rejoicing because of what the Lord has done. So that's all of that, folks, part of the beauty of Easter. huh? This day is holy to the Lord. And we have something to celebrate because Jesus is alive. The sinless life of Jesus is a powerful life. When you get born again, you're not a wimp. You're a wimp to God because you need to be and reverence him and respect him. But it's a life of power and it's a life of joy and it's a life of rejoicing because of what the Lord has done. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for the rejoicing that comes with understanding who we are, understanding the beauty of Easter and what you have called this holiday to be this holy day to be for all humanity, all of your people and all people everywhere. So, Lord, we do thank you for what you are doing in our midst. We thank you for what you have done, Jesus, and for what you have made available to us who live according to your word and who obey you and who are part of the body of Christ. So, Father, we thank you that we are your body. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to live in you and to move in you. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God.